canto to Srimad Bhagavatam. And here, Krishna is speaking to Uddhava, and he's describing the qualities of a, a pure devotee. The first uh, several qualities that uh, we talked about were first, Kripalu, that a devotee can't tolerate seeing the world merged in ignorance. He wants to distribute it. That is Krishna consciousness. Second one was a Krita Droha. And now we're on uh, Anavadyatma. A devotee knows that the material world is a temporary phantasmagoria and therefore does not envy anyone in any material situation. He never tries to agitate others or criticize them unnecessarily. <clears throat> Regarding the world being a temporary phantasmagoria, and therefore uh, one not becoming agitated with others, Prabhupada gives an example that uh, if you get on a train, and in some countries it's very orderly, and people are uh, considerate. In other places, it's a little more competitive to get the last seat. Well, let's say you get on a train and you had it in your mind to sit down, but then somebody else takes your seat, or the one least you thought was yours, you had it in your mind. <laughs> and and Prophet commented on this because obviously he'd been in a situation like that before crowded trains in India, and he said you could uh, make a, uh, a case against the person and argue, and maybe it could become inflamed. And I've seen, actually, fist fights at train stations before, <laughs> especially in sweltering heat in South India. But um, he said you could also consider that, I'm not the, the, ride, the ride's not that long. Why should I fight over it? I only have to stand here for an hour or something like that. And so it gives that in relationship to all that happens to us in this world anyway. Situations change. We're only here for a little while. And why make a big deal out of it? Of course, it that doesn't preclude doing due diligence. We have two aspects to our life, Vyavaharika and Paramartika. Paramartika means our ultimate goal in life, to become Krishna conscious and go back to Godhead. And Vyavaharika means even though we have a spiritual goal, we still have a material body. It requires doing some duties. And therefore, one may have to do due diligence uh, and rectify certain situations. For instance, if somebody's a bully and, and is uh, harassing you, then although you may internally not make a big deal of it, externally you may have to in order to protect your body. And the two can go on simultaneously. Therefore, throughout the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna talks about being equipoised, 
the two words I like to put together are to be methodical but dispassionate. Do your duty methodically, but be dispassionate about it, whatever it might be. And consider also that the phantasmagoria of the material world. That's a kind of interesting word. Does anybody have a dictionary? Uh, let's hear the exact definition. And if you can go into the etymological dictionary, I think it, it uh, last time we looked it up, if I recall correctly, it comes from Greek. Phantasmagoria. Spelled P-H, right? P-H, yeah. A sequence of... Is there an extra button? Yes. Just like an ISV, you get it, your own mic. Seven seconds, huh? Seven seconds or less, or you're running back from this <laughs> Oh, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Go ahead and I'll repeat. What does it say? So, uh, a sequence of real or imaginary images like that seen in a dream. Okay, it has to do with light. Yeah. A sequence of real or imaginary light. Oh, there's the microphone. That's good. Too late. Sorry. We still want to lose money back from the conference. So, yeah, the, the whole world actually is made up of vibrations. We look at the various forms, and they're always transforming. That nothing uh, remains in a permanent state. Therefore, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, Nasato vidite bhavo, na bhavo vidite sita, ubayarapitushnon tas tvanios tatvadarshibi. That a person who's a seer of uh, tattva, tat uh, means that. In fact, if you just put it H after the first T in tat, then uh, that's the modern word, that. It's a demonstrative pronoun, you're pointing to something and saying that, that something. And uh, when you put va on the end, tatva, it makes it into a noun, so thatness. It means that you're able to point to a category of energy that actually is identifiable, that exists in some way or another. So a person who's uh, a tatva darshi, who sees tatva, who's able to see categories and know uh, one category from another. For instance, the material world is uh, made up of inferior or separated energies, as Krishna describes in the Bhagavad Gita 7th chapter. Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and ego. These are the five gross and subtle elements that make up the material world. And in the next verse, number five, he says, Besides these inferior material or separated energies, there's the superior energy of the living entity, conscious living entity, which is categorically a different energy than matter is. And uh, if uh, I mistake one uh, for the other, then I'll be uh, off balance. Therefore, uh, the verse I quoted earlier, Nasato vidite bhavo, pavo vidite sita. 
Ubayoda Bhadushtam says Twaniyota Adarshi. Ubayoda means there's the, the person who sees the truth sees that there's a difference between <clears throat> energy that transforms constantly and that which doesn't. Spiritual energy doesn't transform, it's always the same. But uh, material energy is uh, subject to transformation constantly. It's actually tr constantly transforming one, one thing that, just like our bodies, Krishna says in the Gita, Dehinosmanyata Dehe, Komaran, Komaran Yogaramchara. I mean, it's a little disconcerting when you're um, a frisky little living entity and you just want to have fun, and the next thing you know, you've got an old body. That doesn't seem right. And it doesn't even seem like it's real because we still feel like we're young. But the body gets old and you go like, who's that again? Who are you again? Because we just, uh, we're different categorically. So one has to make a differentiation between the two in order to understand tattva uh, or truth. And otherwise, in the Sri Shapanishad, it is said, Okay, you guys, no shoes. We've gone out of business for you guys. Uh, One result is attained by worshipping the supreme cause of all causes, and another result is obtained by worshipping that which is not supreme. If you actually the word worship, let's look at that for a minute. It comes from the word worth, something of value. And when you put ship on the end, S-H-I-P, then you get a noun. So worship, uh, something that's worth uh, something. And then it used to, uh, the word used to be uh, worth-ship, but it, tra it uh, transformed over the years because it's easier to say. That's a tendency in languages when something's easier to say of people, especially in Bengali, uh, it gets truncated and smoothed out so that it's easier to say. So the word, uh, thus the word worship, it means that uh, where you're, what you consider value, valuable, that's where you put your attention. And so what the verses are saying and what's being indicated here about fan, this context of phantasmagoria is there's nothing really in it for a living entity to get involved with material energy. Anybody ever heard that about somebody giving relationship advice? And say, you know, there's nothing in this relationship for you. It's just not going to work out. You ever heard that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Dr. Just Phil. Just two people? <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil, yeah. Dr. Phil will tell you. And uh, lots of your friends will too, maybe, if it's, if it's not a great idea. So all the Shastras are telling us you 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 don't really have a good relationship, and not only, I mean it goes beyond that. A sangokhyam purusha. Try this on for size, little jiva. There's nothing for you here. Nothing. A sango. You have no actual connection to the material world, the li uh, living entity. A sango. There's no connection for you here. You can't make a connection here ever, because it's constantly moving and. You need something eternal to make you happy, so it's not gonna, it's just not gonna happen. But uh, just like uh, watching a movie on a screen, I get carried away, and when the hero 
succeeds, I become joyful, proud even, to know such a hero, even <laughs> on the screen. And to maybe, you know, know him someday, or maybe I'll become a hero. And then when the hero stumbles, and who wrote this story anyway, uh, to make the hero stumble, and then I feel um, alarmed, and maybe even, my parents used to take me to theater all the time. I remember a, a, a play I saw at the Berkeley Repertory Theater called Duchess of Malfi. Man, what a downer. Everybody got killed. And uh, I was disconsolate afterwards. In fact, the cast knew it, so right after the lights went out, the last scene, and everyone was in shock. Because it was, it was a powerful play, and then all of a sudden the lights came back on again, and the whole cast came out, and there was some really upbeat music they were dancing to just so people didn't commit suicide on the <laughs> parking lot. <laughs> but, but the point is, what is the point? The point is that we're, we're incompatible with the, with the material world and its changing nature. And uh, uh, a person who becomes wise and knows this, uh, doesn't ha have to inconvenience him or herself by getting attached to the matter. Now, of course, it's our nature to be attached. Therefore, we have yukta vairagya, which means that we, we, uh, we can't not touch the material energy, in a sense, because there's a way in which uh, we're ensconced in matter. And therefore, it's recommended that we engage our natures as uh, we, we all have a nature, an inborn nature because of our momentum coming from our previous lives. And we also are surrounded by uh, um, various kinds of paraphernalia. And so the way to work with it is to engage it in the service of the Supreme. Um, Brahmanya daya karmani sangam chakva karotiya lipitena sapapena padma patram ivambasa. Krishna says, live like a lotus. Lotus is in the water, but it doesn't get touched by the water. You have to see a lotus to understand what that means. And um, he said, in the same way, if you live in the material nature, but you um, don't get attached to it, thinking that uh, I'm going to enjoy it but rather that you have a service attitude and you engage it in the service of the Supreme, then you stay aloof from it. And it's like magic, because it actually looks like you're fully engaged in the material nature, and you kind of are, but you don't actually mix with it at all because of your attitude. That's pretty powerful. So this verse is describing how a devotee has perfected this. He or she is moving about the world without that encumbrance of thinking that I own something or I, I, I am something material. So the, the quality is anavadhyatva. A devotee knows that the material world is a temporary phantasmagoria. It's a light show. It's just reflection. And therefore does not envy anyone in any material situation because what is there to envy if somebody appears to own something more than you might have, you can consider that whatever they have is slipping through their fingers 
in that very moment. And that it's not substantial anyway. It's, it's actually a, a, a sleight of hand. As Krishna mentions, it, uh, or Vyasadeva mentions at the very beginning of the Srimad Bhagavatam, that even the devas uh, get bewildered by the way the ways of the material nature and how the three modes of material nature mix things and uh, present a portrait of enjoyable objects. But you can't really enjoy them because they're not real by the standard of eternality versus transformational matter. Do you need me to do anything? Or are you no. okay? All right, so I'm just finishing the last part of this. Uh, he never... So he doesn't envy anyone in any material situation. Does that sound good? Monkeys are planning an attack. We're going to have to stay in here all night. Bottom of the time. We'll have our food like, slipped into the door and back. <laughs> Okay, uh, he, then finally, he never tries to agitate others or criticize them unnecessarily. He never tries to agitate others or criticize them unnecessarily. And uh, uh, the reason is because he knows everything is being accounted for. He understands that because of everyone's own responsibility as a, as a conscious soul, he or she has uh, their own issues to contend with, and they'll uh, and contend they must because every person has their individual karma to deal with. And uh, it's not something that... Uh, we can interfere with. So we don't have to uh, adjudicate it and everything unless we're put in that in a specific uh, position to do so. Uh, we can allow uh, nature to take its course and not become agitated or agitated others. Okay. That's one of the qualities of a devotee. Does that sound good? Yes. Does it sound desirable? Yes. Okay. And you came to the right room. <laughs> Look at this, I got a really long wire now. <laughs> this looks heavy duty. Yeah, this one works. That works. You all feel free to walk out anytime you have any compunction. I know you already had a previous engagement. I will, I will be seeing you again. So I don't want you to feel, you know, okay? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, anybody <coughs> feel eager to make a comment about what we just talked about or ask a question? You get extra points for questions because they're harder than reflections. Yes? You need a mic. my consciousness, but sometimes I'm from scientific background, 
So uh, recently was some international congress of. Uh, um, Can you turn up your mic a little, please? Or without ruining your whole setup. It's on, just I'm asking if you can turn her the volume up at all. Go right ahead. You're from a scientific background? Uh, yeah, I'm from a scientific background. So I was preaching in scientific circles. I'm PhD in nuclear physics. <laughs> a long time back I did it. So uh, recently was one international congress of, uh, this is, uh, I don't know, uh, right or wrong in uh, English, this gerontologia. This is science which uh, um, researches about longevity of life of human beings. And they did a lot of experiments on the animals. So very interesting fact that uh, just for a few centuries we doubled and even tripled our longevity of life. They, it was statistic. So before people, uh, human beings, they're living like 30 years, and it was uh, enough. So after 30 years, they are just uh, considering to be a, considered to be uh, elderly persons, and they're dying. But now, uh, even 70 years, 75, 80 years person, amongst us, some people, and nobody's surprised to that. So uh, now, what they're telling, I will be short, brief, uh, they're telling that uh, just in one, two centuries, we again doubled our longevity of life, and now uh, the next generation, just this generation, they will live 150 years without any uh, any uh, any problem. So 150 years, and they said the child is already born whose chromosome chromosome you know chromosomes are constructed in such a way that they will uh, something double xx and xy something like that. So they will live 150 years, and such people amongst us. So, uh, so I was thinking, so everybody illusioned, and only devotees, we are not so much, how many devotees on our planet? One million, two million, 15 million. But all other humanity are bewildered, and they won't live long life. Everybody's so excited when they said, 150 years, it's so good. And nobody considers that life is so heavy. Every day we are struggling, oh, this COVID came, another disease, another, they predicted that very soon will be some another wave more terrible than first one. But nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to live. <coughs> this, uh, this, uh, the uh, idea came to my uh, brain, my thought. Maybe uh, we are just out of this world, but these people who are thinking in such a way, they're also part and parcels of Krishna. Thank you. But why is they illusioned in so, so much? That's the question? Yes. Because Krishna's Maya is very strong. 
And unless there's a, a support system, then anyone, uh, anywhere, will succumb to the powerful energy. Krishna certifies the material energy as being extra strength. It's the extra strength energy, Maya, and we're helpless against it unless we have. Uh, but is there a majority? Is there much more than us in quantity in these people? And, uh, yes, that's what Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita. Manushanam sahasreshu kashid yatati sidhaye that there are millions of uh, human beings but very few get interested in spiritual life and out of those who are interested in spiritual life there are fewer still that find themselves on a uh, actually impeccable uh, path uh, and as Krishna says the very few uh, hardly one knows me in truth so it, it is a rarefied uh, process and uh, there are millions of living entities that's why we try to spread Christian consciousness to help other people I'm going to move to the next one. Oh, you have one more point keep it a relative you see relatable I would like to live 150 years because Srila Prabhupada said to his disciples Srila Prabhupada said to his disciples at the end uh, I want you, I wish you to live a long, long life. Everybody was surprised. Why? Long, long life in material world. Just telling us. Just well, one of the best ways. But is he said uh, you need long, long life. The best way. Okay, that's it. Thank you. Yeah. The best way is to not waste time. Because it doesn't matter how long your life is, it goes, it goes really fast. Mm -hmm. And, and. If you have extra time, if you're ever in a position to have a, an examination and you think like I'm way ahead and then you end up the day before having to study for it, then uh, you know what I'm talking about. So to have a, a cadence where you're actually practicing Krishna consciousness on a regular everyday basis and then coming to the point, especially strategizing so that <clears throat> you can develop yourself and have a full absorption before leaving the world. Mm -hmm. That's the, the process that's actually laid out through the Varnashram system. And of course anybody is free to take more advantage of the process by their free will and, and come to that point. Next one is Sama. A devotee remains steady and equal in material happiness or distress, fame or infamy. His actual wealth is his consciousness of Krishna, and he understands that his real self-interest lies outside the scope of material nature. He does not become excited or depressed by external events, but remains fixed in consciousness of the omnipotency of Lord Krishna. Sama is one of the most uh, frequently mentioned qualities of a devotee or a quality to aspire for by Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita uh, remaining equal and 
For instance, in the sixth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is describing the quality of someone who's come to higher consciousness. And he says they see pebbles, stones, and gold as the same. So if we put a pebble, stone, and a stack of gold here, how would you regard them? Well, you're kind of laughing, so I'm taking that as maybe you'd see something more in the gold. Of course, there is a Yukta Vairagya principle where you would uh, engage the, the gold somehow, that energy. But the, the categorical truth is that they're all material energy. So to somebody who's absorbed in the pleasure of the self, as Krishna says, the person who is fixed in consciousness is prajahati adakaman sarvam partam manogatam atman yivatmanatushta stita pragnas tadochate. That person doesn't um, succumb to grabbing on to various material desires that are being manufactured by the mind. The mind is a manufacturing plant that puts out combinations and permutations of various uh, sense experiences in the form of desires, like try it again. How about in this combination of permutation? And the person has developed a, the wherewithal to see those and objectify them and, see, and say that I don't have to react to them. This is something else Krishna says in, uh, later in the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Puriyamana Machala Pratishtam Samudram Apa Prabhishanti don't be a kamakami. Okay? Say yes. 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 Don't be a kamakami. A kamakami is a kamakami is somebody who chases after material desires. There's a material desire, so he chases it. But here Krishna says, like the ocean, it's being filled up, but it's, it remains still or it remains the same, doesn't change. So similarly, a person who's uh, being filled up with material desires, they're flowing into the mental system, but he's aloof, which is also uh, an important point because as Hamsa Avatar points out later in this 11th canto, when he's approached by the uh, four Kumaras, that, um, the object of yoga is not to detach ourselves from matter, but to detach ourselves from our mind. Because the mind is naturally attached to matter, so are the senses, because they're part of it. They're in on it. From the very beginning, it all comes from pradhan, one substance, and it gets divided up into many combinations and permutations, and then uh, by the modes of material nature, and the animation of the soul within the body, and the super soul within the universe, it appears to be alive. But it's just the same substance divided up into various categories. But it's all the same thing. So the person uh, whose mind, uh, oh, as I was going to say, as soon as a person comes out of the womb of a mother, the senses become externalized, and they're naturally connected to their objects because the, uh, the sense objects are embedded in the mind, and the mind is connected to the sense objects quite naturally. Have you ever noticed that? Yes. Where did you notice it? 
Food, if you capture the food, and then also there's ways in which we, we may look at, um, you know, a, a person and be attracted, or, you know, a certain form and just naturally attracted. Uh, it, it's already built in. They're closing in. <laughs> so, so Hans Avatar said, then <clears throat> the actual process is. They're really upset about us moving the shoes. <laughs> that um, we detach ourselves from the mind. And he says we have to attain the, the, the state of what's called, that is called, shakshitva. Shakshitva means uh, witnesshood. I become the witness. I'm witnessing my mind as a soul, which is possible. As Krishna mentions in the end of the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Indriyani Priyanyahur Indriya Paramanaha. Manasastu Parabudhiryo Bhudhe Paratastu Saha. The lowest of all are the senses, and above the senses is the mind. Above the mind is the intelligence, and above the intelligence is the soul proper. And then he says, Evam Buddhi Parambudva Samstabhya Manamatmana, Jahi Shatram Mahabaho Kamarupam Durasadam that you should fortify yourself through your intelligence to see the difference, see this hierarchy, and then uh, rise above the impulse to embrace the, the sense objects, the higher self. Control the lower self by the higher self. And in Chakshitva, one uh, actually can see that the intelligence is doing its work, so is the mind, and one can observe of what the impulses are and notice that I'm not those impulses and that whatever's going on in my subtle or gross body is not actually me, it's the material nature working. As in uh, the fifth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, forgive me for giving this long string of verses, but they're important and they should go in the record. Naiva kinchit karomiti yukto mangate tatvavit pashan shrinvan spasan jigran ashan gachan spasan Sorry. Naiva kinchit karomiti yukto manyete tatvavit pashan shinvan sprishan jigran ashnan gachan sprishan sprishan say it loud. Swapan swasan. Swapan swasan. Indriyan indriyarte shu vartanta iti daryan. I'm going to do it again. <laughs> so this verse is describing a person who's uh, attained shakshitva or witnesshood. And it says not eva, not at any time does he think that I'm the body, and that the functions of the body that are going on are me. That includes the, the functions of the mind and the desires that are flowing through the mental system. He's able to objectify them and step back from them and notice them. Here's an exercise you can try at home, or right here in this room. Uh, it's something I learned uh, from the 17th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita when Krishna talks about the austerities of speech and how beneficial they are. 
And then in combination with, I heard an interview with this uh, famous musician and the interviewer was asking him how he was able to uh, successfully have a music career and stay in the various bands. He was with some famous musicians. And musicians, uh, creative people, they come together, they have their own ideas, they have to travel, stay in the same places. It's a tough life moving around as a musician. Late hours, all kinds of things like that. Bands break up all the time, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, I won't go into details on that, but <laughs> I'll get on my roast. But, uh, <laughs> but they do. They're notorious for it. And uh, so the interviewers asked him, so how were you so successful to maintain longevity? He said the following. I didn't say everything that was on my mind. <laughs> and that's what he attributed his success to. And I thought, that's a brilliant thing. So then for myself, I came up with a formula. Safe, 30% fewer things that come to your mind every day. So just today, like we were riding in the car and a few things came to my mind. And then I thought, well, I'll just add that to the 30% that I won't say today. <laughs> and it served me well because I just, I was able to notice in that instance, instant that there is a, <clears throat> a difference between me and my thoughts and the impulse to speak and so on. And then I thought, wow, if I had said it, it would have set off a chain reaction. The other people in the car would have had to listen and respond and some may have agreed, not agreed, or may have spun off into another whole conversation, but I had the luxury of not saying, because I have this 30% less policy, and <laughs> confirmed. And then <laughs> there's, there's a way that I, I actually uh, felt more in touch with myself as a spiritual being and rather a material being. These are kind of a mechanical ways of looking at it, but uh, throughout the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna talks about this, this state of sama, of being equal. Another, uh, did you like the 30% off? Yes. 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 You want to try it? Yes. yes. Yeah, try it out. And then the other thing, I heard this uh, uh, kind of an affirmation a long time ago that works well for sama. Want to hear it? Yes. yes. <clears throat> Things are never as good as they seem or as bad as they seem. <laughs> Things are never as good as they seem or as bad as they seem. So the, the tendency of the mind is to <clears throat> evaluate things according to one's own sense gratification. This is going to inconvenience me. I hate inconvenience, I have to admit it. But, you know, the mind reacts and says, I don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't, this is bad. And then something else, that's convenient for me. That's good. And constantly uh, looking into it. Of course, a lot of the things we think are convenient end up being uh, more inconvenient. It looks like it's gonna aid me, but actually I get attached to it and then it changes into something else and then I'm caught by it and there's a, a price to pay. Therefore, the idea of sama is we don't overreact on either side. Shuba shuba paleriva moksha shekarma bandhanai, Krishna says in the Gita. Whether the thing looks auspicious or inauspicious, the devotee is uh, 
not uh, doesn't consider it that way. Everything is in the same category in the material world for the devotee. It's all paraphernalia to be used in Krishna's service. It's not for my enjoyment. And therefore, when something uh, comes up, uh, like somebody just flew into the, uh, what was that place called? The World Trade Center? And the whole world kind of goes sideways for a little while. I remember we were, we were in California, Burlingame. It's not too far from the San Francisco airport. I always liked airports. Even when I was a kid, we dropped my uncle <laughs> off at the airport. I don't want to go. I, I like the, the thrill of it, you know, the idea of people taking off, going places. So somehow, whether my karma, I, I, when I started distributing books, I started in the San Francisco airport. I grew up in an airport, everybody. <laughs> I used to spend hours a day in an airport. And um, <clears throat> in any case, there's a way in which uh, this, uh, we lived near an airport. I think that's part of my karma, too. So you can see the planes coming in. Ah. And so when the 9-11 happened, and there, was, uh, there were no airplanes flying for two days or so. And I started thinking, well, that's the end of the world. Probably the world will probably stop. And then a couple seconds later, I thought, no, it won't. It never stops. Even if people wanted to stop, Krishna says, Nahi kachit shanamapi jatu tishchati karmakrit karyate kevashat karma sarva prakriti jayagunai. No one can stop moving, even for a moment. We're, we're impelled by the three modes of material nature to work and to endeavor for certain uh, objects and so forth. You can't stop. Try it sometime. It's impossible. Even when you go to sleep, you're still running. You're working. Did anybody pay you for that work? No. But you still do it. You know, it's our nature to always be working. So when I saw that, and I you just analyzed, the world has its own uh, mechanism or way of working. And it's out, most of it is outside of what I can control. And just because um, my life seems out of control doesn't mean the, the world's out of control. It just means my sense of context is not right. So a person who's sama sees how everything evens out by the arrangement of the Supreme Personality of God, and therefore he or she doesn't freak out every time something happens, good or bad. Doesn't become elated, Probably, uh, Krishna says in the Gita, when there's some gain, it doesn't become morose when there's some loss. So, uh, this is Sama, and it's a, it's a really powerful concept and important. Yes, Prabhu. Here comes the mic. Yes. Now we've got it down. Prabhuji, <laughs> I was thinking about this for a long time as I was, you know, studying and self-study of the scriptures. So, the sama, this property of sama that you just discussed, this is a state of mind. Is that right? Like, yes. mind should be in the state of That's equilibrium. Correct. Now, that led me to think about another question, which I haven't been able to figure out, and maybe you can help me. In many of the lectures, Srila Bhaktivedanta Prabhupada has said that we are manufacturing our next body by karma of this life or the desires that we have and actions that we perform thereafter. So does that mean that the 
mind also is related somehow to our spirit meaning how does how does the spirit want like you know if it is manufacturing a let's say a male body for next life how does it think does it have some way of the spirit thinks is that what he means like like i i am able to understand when somebody says that uh, oh yes there is a sense object and in this material body i am able to see it taste it feel it smell it or what what have you then i can understand that the mind is perceiving that this is something to eat this is something to touch this is something to f- feel in some way but how does the spirit know that it wants to do something for the next life like how does it get into the material platform does it have a thinking capacity is that what he means yeah you can think of it as uh, hardware software and operator so the hardware is the the bones and the blood that make up your the frame of your body just like you have a, a frame on your uh, on your smartphone yeah. or your computer and then the software runs it so the mind is subtle like software and it runs the the it has various algorithms and we are the operator we're what animates of the body as soon as we leave the body the body no longer has animation but the soul has volition and and will that's the nature of consciousness the body has no um, inherent will we are expressing our will through the body and it's a, a filter as such so the way it's explained by the um, the acharyas is in the concept of upadi so an upadi means an artificial designation and the example that shila jiva goswami gives is that if you take a crystal that's clear and you put a red rose next to it then the crystal also turns red however it's not red it's clear but by association it turns red and it appears red So the soul is always clear but when we come in contact with material nature then we appear to take on material qualities we never are a material entity we're just artificially connected to it by projection just like i project myself into various objects in this material world by looking at them and then considering them uh, to be enjoyable objects. So, let's just say you're walking down the street and you're window shopping. Have you ever done that? Yes. Okay, nowadays you don't window shop. Nowadays you go on Amazon and you flip through and see what's there. Don't you? Yes. I'm the only one who does that. Okay. So, you, let's say you're looking at a screen or and through a window and you see something that you want. and then he said oh yeah i want that so the gita krishna says jayate upishayam pum sam sangasteshu jayate when you contemplate the objects of the world 
through your senses, then you develop a sangha with them. Sa-anga means it becomes part of you. It, it's just a pair of genes, but now they're my genes. In fact, if you go try them on at a store, the salesperson will look, especially if they get a commission, they'll look. Those are really you. <laughs> those shoes, those are really you. He's like, really you? <laughs> and go, yeah, that's really me. People identify with clothes a lot. And have, they change their clothes and then they feel better about themselves. Change your hair, that could do a lot. And we're not, just as we're not a pair of jeans or a car, we're not our bodies either. But it's a portal through which we express our, our will. And so when the body changes, then the way that we express our desires also change because each body has a delimiting fa factor. Like a baby has a certain way of expressing desires because it has a baby body. It's a soul expressing itself through a baby's body. Did you ever like toys? You like them now? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm talking about like kid toys. I mean, you know, play we have toys. Don't give me that. Yeah. Okay, so there's kid toys that I was attached to when I was a kid. I had to have them. And then uh, I don't like them anymore. I'm just not interested. I don't mind if kids play with toys, but I don't want to play with them. Because the apparatus has changed. The, the body's different. So we have this uh, mixture of... We're the soul. That's what's actually creating the desire. Yes, the, the desire, the volition, the eagerness to connect to something comes. That's what the soul does. It's a unit of conscious energy. If I may just add one no, more please. point. Yes. <clears throat> I, I feel, and I may be completely off the point, that the spirit has a tendency to either like or not like something like it's binary like if it likes to spend time in Vrindavan versus spending time in some other place then it is a liking or disliking and that memory somehow remains with the spirit when it changes the body right so the mind is a binary instrument and it accepts and rejects. Now, what, how does it de ex decide what to accept and what to reject? So this is explained in the, in the Shastras that we have uh, what are called samskars, or impressions from previous experience. So those are uh, accumulated in the mind stuff, or, or sometimes it's called the, the uh, subconscious mind. The, in yoga psychology, it's called the, the chitta, which is really, if you use digital technology, uh, terminology, it would be like a cloud, a digital cloud with a lot of space. And because we collect impressions from each lifetime that we're in. And, uh, and we've been through millions of lifetimes. And therefore, all of those are stored and there's combinations and permutations of those. What a samskar is, is a, a, a latent desire. It's an, a latent impression that can become 
reactivated according to circumstance. So when I, for it's, I gave this example the other day. Let's just say I was, I was married to somebody who was fat and had a big nose. And so in this life, in the last life, and in this life, uh, I see somebody who's fat with a big nose and then I fall in love. Because I think, whoa. You know, everyone has a, a, a filter they're looking through. So everyone thinks I'm making an independent choice. But yoga psychology says, no, you're not. You're being impelled by nature, by the accumulation of some scars in your, in your mind, in your chitta, that's um, impelling you to choose certain types of things. You're not making a free choice. So when one comes to uh, higher consciousness and realizes that that's what's happening, what Krishna describes, and I already quoted the verse, prajahati yadakama. So prajahati means that the, the person is able to objectify the desire when it comes out and doesn't feel attached to it. Just sees that, oh yeah, the mind manufactured that. Very interesting, but I, I have nothing to do with it. And therefore it doesn't become entangled by seeing it. And we carry them with us from one life to the next. Yes. To expand conversation, you're asking a question. I've always been curious to know because the mind's nature is to accept and reject, the third canto of the Bhagavatam explains that the mind is actually characterized by sattva, not rajas, but the intelligence is characterized by rajas. But generally, we hear control the mind through deliberate intelligence. So, how do we understand it? Because it seems like it should be the other way around. The mind is existing in sattva because it can see, don't go in this direction. But the mind is kind of just back and forth. So how do we understand So sattva is a neutral mode. And the mind is in its pristine state. It's just a neutral screen. Whereas, but as Kapiladev describes, the buddhi, the intelligence, is rajas. Why? Because it's creative. The creative process is in rajas. Uh, like when Brahma creates the universe, because you're trying to create something. Instead of, uh, there's a sense that I have to become something more. That's rajas. Whatever I have now, it's not enough. I have to become something more. Whereas in sattva, you have awareness that I already am something. I don't have to become something more. So that's the differentiation between the two instruments. Okay, so now we're going to have a little kirtan because we went out all over the town today and uh, we went to, do you remember where we went? <laughs> we were in a car. <laughs> I, remember I, was, I was looking out the window and next thing I knew, we were at Govardhan Hill. It was kind of a homecoming for me because I really got attached to being at Govardhan Hill every Kartik. And uh, we, put, we had a streak going there for a while until COVID broke it up. But it, it was the streak was at 20 years of being at Govardhan for every Kartik. And uh, I was kind of attached to it. And then we got separated from Govardhan. So coming back to the Govardhan Hill today was an exhilarating experience. I was really happy to be back there. A lot of, this is the other thing. These samskars can be overwritten. 
You're an engineer, right? Oh, yeah. So when you have a computer code that you've written, all the engineers are going, yeah, yeah, talk about that. But you could overwrite it. You write a better code. So there's there's spiritual some scars, and they actually, with overwriting, if I understand properly, introduce something else, and the other one just kind of drifts away, it falls apart. When you overwrite something. So when we overwrite by introducing spiritual, we have spiritual experiences, attachment to Dom, like we did today. We went around, and we won't forget what happened today, all the experiences and everything we saw, and it was all spiritual. So that's what we did today. And now we're going to have a kirtan. Bhavi Prabhu, would yes. you mind leading us in a short kirtan? Yes, of course. <clears throat> oh, yes. You said one, when you said this thing about... Uh, we don't need this, right? When you said this thing about rewriting, uh, my understanding has always been that when we read Prabhupada's books, <coughs> it, uh, it awakens the thinking, feeling, and willing of the soul which uh, reconfigures the thinking, feeling, and willing of the mind. Is that correct? Can you say that again? My understanding has been that when we read Prabhupada's books, yeah. we awaken the thinking, feeling, and willing of the soul, which reconfigures or reformats or overwrites the thinking, and fe thinking, feeling, willing of the mind. Well, I would put it just a slightly different way. I mean, it's, it's uh, re. Well, first of all, just what I, the verses I quoted earlier about how a person, Krishna says a person should use his or her intelligence to overcome the lower nature. The mind is binary, it's accepting and rejecting, but the intelligence uh, can be the adult in the room, is the adult in the room if it's purified to say, oh, uh, there's causality. Whatever the mind has suggested based on karma, uh, now the intelligence can look at it, analyze it, and say if it's a good idea or not, and then choose or not choose, based on that. It's a higher authority. And as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, in the 18th chapter, that when you, when you study the Gita, he said, when you study this conversation, you're worshiping me by your intelligence. And so there's a way in which by hearing Shastra, by reading Prabhupada's books, the intelligence becomes uh, purified and refined. Basically those are the same words. And, and it becomes uh, fortified against um, counterfeit desires. And, and, and so that's one of the ways that the, the mind becomes um, able to make uh, good decisions, thinking, feeling, and willing, the one's able to short-circuit the process. In fact, I was in Mayapur sitting with His Holiness Jayapatapa Maharaj at a GBC meeting once, and he made this point. He said, we should, I think the subject matter was talking about important points that should be inculcated in this kind of, he said, at our table that we were sitting at with a few other devotees, that he felt that we should uh, tell devotees more about thinking, feeling, and willing, and that they sh should learn how to stop it in the beginning, in the thinking stage. 
And so what you're suggesting is, like, by reading Prabhupada's books, uh, you have the strength to do that. That's a yoga balena, or yoga, yogic strength, that a lot of people don't have because they watch television or something else, and they just get, like, they're all excited about whatever comes up, and they just get carried away. But when you read Prophet's books, it, it gives you this uh, clear picture of reality. Reality distinguished from illusion. And that's uh, how sharp the intelligence come, becomes by reading Prophet's books. I can tell you about uh, staying in Govardhan, and then we would read two, hour, two and a half hours in the morning, two and a half hours at night. In a smaller room than this, but about the same number of devotees fit in. And then we'd hear out loud and just listen. And I remember, uh, well, I talk every year to the devotees who attend. Some of them come for a week. Some of them come for two minutes and leave because it's too intense. And other people stay for 30 days and listen and participate. And to a person, if you ask them, how was it? They say, life-changing. The world looks completely different to me now. And I remember a specific anecdote. There was this brahmachari there who was listening. And uh, we went through the fourth canto, which is, I mean, it's just stupendous. That's all I can say. And, you know, at, at one of the breaks, I heard him talking to his spiritual master. And he was saying, what was I thinking? In the context, like, what was I thinking? Why did I come to the material world in the first place? <laughs> and also, <laughs> why was I thinking about, uh, I could do something to enjoy? I think we had just read the, the story of Prachinda Barishat. That's what it was. <laughs> I mean, there's so these stories and uh, and uh, commentaries are so potent and so real that if you take the time to hear them and read them, you actually do rise above the uh, thinking, feeling, and willing process that's impelled by karma. You rise above karma and you destroy your karma. Krishna says that in Bhagavad Gita, "Yanagni sarvakarmanam," the fire of knowledge burns up all your karma. And so that's what you get from the Bhagavad Gita and, and reading Prophet's books. <laughs>